and welcome to Rainy Podcast, looking at creativity and innovation, and with a wonderful mix of neuroscience thrown in. So neuroscience that's bringing new answers and direction to how we grow. So I'm Sarah Shaw, and my co-partner in crime of creativity is Tracy Fuller, and we connected by our passion for understanding what makes people tick, or as Ruby Wax says, what's going on with our mothership. We're just going to be continuing the discussion that got started with the wonderful Ian Edwards last time in episode one, where we looked at what is creativity. And we're going to develop that further by looking at who is creative and taking that beyond the obvious of artists and authors and natural creative space um, and help you sort of navigate your way through your own brain and the ways in which you can be creative or develop innovation. And I think this is going to open up quite the debate. We are joined today by Carl Elwood, and we're very much looking forward to listening in on his contribution. Welcome, Carl. Would you like to introduce well, yourself? Because you're a networker. I was thinking that. We've not done that with anybody else. That might no, be quite no, we fun. Haven't, actually. The classic thing is, is that the founder and managing director of Elwood Wine Selections and a founder of a networking group called Business Leaders Wine Club. Now, in a short a few words, that's me. But how do I do what I do? And I think that's where a title can be a lot more interesting. How does my business work? What do I aim to do? What makes me really happy in what I'm doing? And that's really introducing wines. And it's about the narrative behind the wine, the personality behind the bottle. Because if you pour a glass of wine or from a bottle into a glass, the person that made that wine has made that possible. And the label is rather two-dimensional by comparison. So a winemaker, when you pour that into the glass, it's their personality. That's what they want you to remember is that winemaker. So I always like to think that I am a purveyor or a curator of wines. So we could abbreviate as a great curator. You're not one dimensional with your career, are you? This is my story in wine, basically. And this is why I am where I am within the business itself. When I had unceremoniously finished at Oxford Poly, as it was then, it's now called Kennedy Brooks Uni, my dad had a client who was a wine merchant. And my father was really irritated with me kicking around the house. And he said, Carl, you're going to France to pick grapes. And I thought, wow, that sounds fantastic. Uh, It didn't happen that year. I ended up working for this wine merchant, uh, driving around London, delivering to all these incredible restaurants and hotels, seeing this sort of secret underground labyrinth of just pure hedonism as far as food was concerned. So roll on to the following summer, I then did go to France to pick grapes. And it was a really small producer in Burgundy, in Macon, just outside the the, uh, town of Macon, a little village called Vergisson. And he makes uh, some of the most famous white wines of today. But at the time, he was very much an up-and-coming winemaker. And he seemed to take a bit of a, a shine to me. So he would wake me up at three or four in the morning to help him press the grapes. And he had this old 17th century wine press called a cockard press, which is on a sort of ratchet system. So a long pole across, he's at one end, I'm at the other. And we push rotating as we're just gently pressing the grapes. Now bear in mind, this is what, three, four in the morning, it's dark. The only light is a low wattage light bulb hovering like a moth above the top. And it's just the sound of the juice as it's just gently filling into this sort of bucket below. And he would say, stop. And you just hear this running juice. You could smell it. 
So we did this for a while. And then he had a delivery of some barrels a couple of days later. And the barrel maker had said, I've got three different types of barrels. Which one do you want? And he buried his head in the barrel and he took a big gulp of air to smell the wood and how oaky that oak was and choosing the suitable barrel for it. These are all little traits. I had no idea at the time as what a 19 year old kid had no idea how wine was made. Didn't really think about it. Didn't even particularly like it, to be honest. But picking the grapes with a group of 20 of us living in his place eating the food, drinking his wine, working in the vineyards and seeing how the wine was made. I had to buy some. So I did with what little money I had. And when I drank it, I always thought of it, that's my wine. So I felt I'd sort of my sweat, blood and tears had gone into this wine. So it was my wine. And I'd fell in love with the idea about wine. And I just didn't know then, but I know now why I've set up Elwood Wines really. But I think that's a beautiful lead into creativity, isn't it? That actually no one is right or wrong. There is no right or wrong. So everybody is creative. That's the whole beauty of creativity. And I think that's the interesting thing about who is creative, how you become creative, what is creativity. There was a restaurateur the other night and he had been a lawyer for donkeys, donkeys, donkeys years. And whether he opened his restaurant, his parents were sort of like, why did you wait so long? And he said, I didn't think I was creative. You're Mm. like, wow. And what's interesting about that is the correlation between the careers people choose and their mindset. It's almost like they put creativity to one side and it can't be part of the industry that they they go into. I mean, our open gambit for this episode is that everybody is creative and it's finding the way that they choose to be creative and where it shows up for them but to just understand the potential of us and what we can do and what our brain has in store for us that we don't know yet yeah i mean it's i wonder if the word creative puts up barriers Mm -hmm. in the way that sales does yeah we talked about this didn't we last week that everyone's a salesperson but you talk about in the uk sales is sort of god no that's terrible you know back back And I wonder if the word creativity becomes a creative block in itself. And maybe we need to change our relationship with that word or define it better. And I think if I can find an imaginative way to communicate a product that I'm trying to sell or introduce to someone, then by being creative is one way of doing that. And that's sort of like lateral thinking. There's an interesting book, an American author called Daniel Pink. I don't know if you've read a book of his called A Whole New Mind. I really, really recommend it. The premise is basically that the the world will be taken over by right-brainers. But it it discusses that the left-brainers, who are typically right-handed, and the left side of the brain is more about logic. So I always think in terms of spreadsheets is probably the nicest analogy for me. And and we need them. I'm more left-handed than right-handed. I write left-handed means I'm using more of my right-hand side of the brain. And that's where there's more empathy and more creativity. You've pressed a red button, I'm afraid, with with using left and right brain. So come on, neuroscientist. Yeah, it doesn't actually exist. (laughs) In McGilchrist, who actually came up with the the left... Well, there's also Daniel Kleinerman who talked about thinking fast and thinking slow. And the theory is that if you watch a bird 
and a bird's actually pecking away at the nuts. It's completely focused on what it's doing. But all of a sudden, it'll hear a rustle in the leaves and it's off, it's gone. That's the analogy, really, of the right left-hand brain, that when you're very, very focused on something, you probably are using the right-hand side and then a rustle, that's your danger signal, get out. So your brain's always doing that when you're focused on something. You've also got one ear open, which is what people say, don't they, to actually what else is going on. So the logic of one and right, left side doesn't exist. It is a neuromyth. They, they, co- they coexist yeah. alongside yeah. each other. And, and they, they have to jump between each other all the time because actually what the brain is doing, because the brain is a prediction machine and it's always adapting all the time through neuroplasticity, when you're actually in that really lovely thought moment where you forget time and, and you're just in... It's almost like you're playing. It's wonderful. But your brain is making connections all the time between your different memories, semantic memory and your analytical memory, kind of what do I know? What's the knowledge? Like, I know the Eiffel Tower exists, but actually I remember the Eiffel Tower because I went up there and and had a really romantic evening. Then that's my personal. So the brain is always bringing all these things together to kind of, because it doesn't know what's real and what's not real. And that's the beauty of creativity, really. Hence, there's no right or wrong, because it's down to that individual and their experiences, and that's what actually matters. How can we learn, us mere mortals, to understand our brain better when our brain is actually operating in that creative space and not in its default mode, regular kind of logic mode? How How do we spot that happening? There are two networks that I always associate with it. There's the task focus network, which is your the prefrontal cortex up here, which is like the executive function part of the brain. So that makes all the higher order decisions of, of what we do, our activities. The default mode network is this network. It's when you're resting, when you're daydreaming, when you're really just calm and relaxed. That's where your thoughts kind of come up and ideas and different things. I suppose if you find yourself daydreaming, then you know you're in default mode or really so focused on something you're not aware what else is going on around you. Whereas your prefrontal cortex is more the task focused. You're doing a task. And if you think about why you have to use that in creativity all the time, you always need to have a question of why you're doing something. What what is the reason you're doing that? And so in a way, you've always got a good brief. So the reason the brain is always between task and default is are we meeting the brief? let's just check in. I've got this wonderful idea, but actually, oh, maybe I could adapt it. Maybe I could change it a little bit. So you're constantly unknown to you. You're doing comparison. Good creatives, having worked in advertising, will always be checking in on the brief. If they don't get a good brief, that kind of doesn't steer them properly. They've got, you know, all of us need to ask the right question. That's the really important thing. So again, hence why all of us are creative. You just got to sort your question out. Or being creative behind the scenes, we're not aware of it. Yeah. Let me ask this, because obviously this is an area of your expertise, Soraya. If you're focusing on a specific task, let's say you're playing a musical instrument, let's say yeah. piano, does that mean that one part of the brain is going to be exercised more than others? Because you're dealing with memory, let's say, a muscle memory as well as actually, you know, where the notes go. You're reading, perhaps you're reading the music. I don't know which parts of the brain, whether they're the same or different. 
if you're focusing on one specific activity like that, would that resonate on an image? If you're having an MRI yeah. scan while playing the piano, would it actually show more energy in one particular part of the brain? Yeah, and it would. It would. So therefore, the premise of that book by Daniel Pink, which I'm probably not doing justice to it, by exercising different parts of your brain, i.e. doing things you would not normally do, which he argues can help a more creative process. Do you think there is perhaps no evidence that you're aware of to say that that is actually the case, it makes no difference at all. No, 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 he's completely right. He's yeah, completely what he's right. saying is right. It's just yeah, the left and right absolutely brain Absolutely right. You've got to be doing new things. I mean, all of us, the moment you become, you know, loneliness and depression is when people aren't really going out and seeing other people. And, and we all know the, the reasons for it. But actually, you need to be using your curiosity all the time, learning new things, doing new things, because your brain is always adapting. This was one of my favourite things, actually, from the training that we did together, uh, when you said that by the time you're 50, you've replaced every neuron in your brain, which really does demystify that statement of sort of you can't teach old dogs new tricks. That shifted my mindset, like it blew me away. And I'm stretching myself and finding new things about myself. Being somebody that gets quite excited by opportunity and possibility it's just fantastic that your brain's playing along. There's a wonderful thing. It's a word I love. It's called neurogenesis. And that's the birth of new neurons. And they happen in the hippocampus and, and other parts of the brain as well. But that is where you are literally new little neurons. And we've got, uh, I can't remember how many billions we have in our head anyway. I'm working with some people at the moment on a paper on bullying. And what happens when people are, are depressed or anxious or pressurised or being bullied, and I won't go into the whole details, it's, it's different parts of the nervous system, but people can't create new neurons. That shuts down that whole part because what happens is the hippocampus starts uh, being reduced and another part of the brain called the amygdala and that the whole system that, that happens to, to protect us from danger gets bigger because in a way that's being given more practice and more energy and the energy is being taken away from the learning. So that's another thing behind when people are anxious and worried and depressed, you are actually damaging the brain. So for creativity, this is why you need to be creating atmospheres where people feel relaxed, comfortable, very social. They're, as a team, you're working well together. You appreciate each other. You may not like each other, but you're, you know, you are like each other. Uh, and that's actually how you create that kind of atmosphere, that congeniality that people are going to be able to ideate. How would you define creativity? It switched the roles. Oh, yeah, He's know, asking questions. Yeah, well, <laughs> how would I define it? You know, I think yeah. it's when I don't think it has any barriers. It's bundled up. There's so much uh, anticipation. It's knocked out of you thinking childhood at school. You're not encouraged to, to have a creative career. Got to get into something and make money. But like yeah. you said, daydreaming is a big trigger uh, that you're in creative space. And what do you get yeah. told off for at school? Yeah, exactly. Looking out the window right. and daydreaming. Yeah, I don't have a descriptor for it, actually, because I think it's just when you get that feeling in your, you know, in your conscious, something pops into your consciousness and you're like, oh, that's quite interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way or seen it that way. Or, you know, when you think about da Vinci, for instance, I mean, he could draw, but also he was a mathematician. And in our world, we're taught that the two can't sit side by side, which is the biggest rubbish in the world. But we, we just put all these barriers around ourselves. Storytelling, right. for example, Carl, mm. that's beautifully creative. 
It is. The narrative we provide about, say, in your business, you know, what's your business story? People love to know who they're dealing with. We're all different, the, the, so the neurodiversity that we all have. Yeah. Um, but the story about a business, that's creative. Why not talk about the story of your company? You know, how how did it start? I mean, I just use my example of what in, what inspired me as to why I like to talk about wine. And what I always think about whenever I have a wine is, well, what's the story behind it? And it takes me back to that 19-year-old lad picking grapes in the late 80s um, in, in France. And a lot of bigger companies now, before the interview, you have to fill in a questionnaire and it sees whether you're a cultural fit to that business. So therefore, everybody in the business is on the same page in a sense. You know, they're going to get on professionally and personally. I think that's really interesting because there's a sense of belonging there, isn't there? If everybody knows what that story is and that culture and what the rituals are, you belong. Yeah. You know, what we all want to do, don't we? We want, we want to feel part of something. Well, I always love that Groucho Marx, the antithesis of that, actually. The Groucho Marx comment that's saying, I would never be a member of a club that would have someone like me as a member. <laughs> um, and then hence, that's the basis of the Groucho Club. So if you turn that around and just think, yeah, I would, with you're among friends, you're among my people, <laughs> people who get me, people who understand, people who challenge me, people who interest me. That That's a creative process, isn't it? If you walk yeah. into a room, you didn't know anyone. You open your mind. You could learn so much from everyone in that room. And what a great opportunity it is to meet a load of strangers because someone in that room perhaps may well inspire you to do something brilliant the next day or the day after. Do you think the role of leadership has changed? It has to change. The dinosaurs of their day, you know, did that hierarchical, and now it's about mindset. And again, this is another thing that needs people talked about hard skills and now we're talking about soft skills and people go, well, soft skills, what's that? That's a bit fuzzy, was it? You know, it's a bit soft and touchy-feely. And it's not. It's about communication with people. You know, we are relational creatures. That's how we operate. Well, so I think for some time now we've been talking in leadership space around e EI over EQ. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it is. He was, we, we were talking to uh, someone the other day, Tracy and I, and he was saying that, the two skills that people don't talk about was charm and charisma. So that whole relationship building that you're, you know, if someone sees, someone feels they're being seen and, and they exist as a, a human being, as a person, that's a wonderful thing to experience. So charm and charisma are really these two uh, attributes or skills that have never been, you know, you think of Italians as charming or, or whatever, but perhaps not the Brits so much. It was really interesting. He had done a lot of research with different leaders and stuff like that. And and that was something that was coming out was um, some of the skills that he will talk about in episode three. So you'll have to listen to it. <laughs> it comes back to you with the winemakers. Which barrel am I going to put this wine in? You know, it's all those extra. They're using all their skills, but actually the, part of that creative process is they're choosing a slightly different way of creating that particular bottle. Absolutely. And even now, you just reminded me, we look at it in current climate, and by climate, I mean global warming, with climate change that's happened. So the winemakers are meticulous. They always make notes when the grapes are harvested. So they look through their dates and they're moving earlier and earlier. You know, the, the, the harvests are much earlier than they have ever been. And that suits certain grapes up to a point. But then when it gets too warm, those grape varieties that are traditionally being planted then just can't cope 
they don't produce the sort of fruit that the winemaker wants anymore. At some point in the next 25, 50 years, they may not at all. So they look at other grape varieties that were growing, but because they didn't suit the climate, they were sort of overlooked. But now some of those grape varieties that were used hundreds of years ago are having their day. And I love the concept that they're now looking backwards. What happened in the past? Yeah. How they're making wines? It's changing. And it's a younger generation that are less fixated with tradition as in what their grandfather did, but thinking traditionally maybe what their great-great-great-grandfather might have done if he was making wine. It's a lovely example of why we've chosen to say creativity and innovation, yeah. because that's things evolving. That's a beautiful story that really demonstrates that that is the creative process. And that's utilising another example as well, Soraya, of that all parts of the brain working together because you've got your technical capability and you've got that exploration where creative juices start to flow. And that fits in perfectly with the brain as an adaptive organ. It's always adapting all the time. It, it never stays still. And that's the same for the world around us. We're adapting. But you could argue then, I was just thinking about this when you were talking about grapes that perhaps were, you know, three, four hundred years ago. And we're now using or people are being creative and using them in new situations. Is that new? Does that then become new or is that just a, an involvement of from four or five hundred years ago? But we're all different now. Is the mind or the brain constantly evolving? I mean, is mankind, is that the last organ that the human race is evolving with? Everything else is more or less stagnant. But the brain, the mind is changing. Well, I don't know, because I think with AI and the new technologies that are coming out, I think our whole health will change. So how that changes our longevity and our organs and our general health, I think we're always evolving because the brain is part of the body anyway. Well, that's a nice link into our next episode. We're going to be talking to Ross and we're going to be looking at why is it important for us as human beings and what we're doing next alongside all this technological advancement. Somebody was talking about the transformational working life is happening at warp speed. AI is here to stay. There's no doubt about that. Oh, definitely. You know, there's a yeah, lot of, I was just about to say that there's a lot of big headlines around it and fear, but you know, change is inevitable. Change is the only constant. We will become dinosaurs if we don't go along with it as an organization, if we don't embrace it. And as an individual, you're going to leave opportunities behind. It's a great tool, and we just don't know how to use it properly yet. But once mm -hmm. once we've got over ourselves, we then sort of live mm -hmm. alongside it like it's always been there. I, I remember, because I'm so old, I taught I was taught typing on a manual typewriter. That makes me sound absolutely ancient. And then I remember getting Word Perfect on a, on a computer, one of those computer things. Yeah, I and I had to put a load of dot commands in at the top so that the address would print at just the right place on the printer, which was probably a dot matrix, not laser. And then I got given one of these things, a mouse. And I remember putting both hands on top of it to try and move it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Didn't laugh, but yeah. But that, but it is hysterical, and now I don't yeah. even think about it. And that's that's yeah. you know innovation, isn't it? That's things evolving, and us as mere mortal humans doing the same thing and learning with it and going along with it, adapting again. Yeah, that I love that. Adapt and adopt. 
I think fun needs to be added in here because actually I was thinking about, you know, when we're creative and that obviously topic today is who is creative. I think when we're in flow, when we're not even thinking about what we're doing and we're just putting those patterns together or just playing with something, that is when we're probably at our best, coming up with the best solutions, just not thinking too hard, just letting it happen. Just to relax, enjoy the moment, the life we've got, which is a blessing, really. If you want to know more about what's going on with Brainy Podcasts, packed with how-tos and general resources, go to our website, brainycast.com.